Hi, it's Sharon Swing. Before we get started on today's podcast, there are two opportunities we would love to invite you to join us in. One is a Listen to My Life, Maps for Recognizing and Responding to God in My Story. It's a life mapping virtual group that will be starting September 10th. I'll be leading that along with Joan Kelly and Sybil Towner. We would love to have you join us. Second thing, a live in-person workshop in the Chicago area for people who want to lead others through the life mapping experience of Listen to My Life. We would love to have you find out more information at onelifemaps.com. That's O-N-E-L-I-F-E-M-A-P-S dot com. You'll see a link to those two opportunities off of the front page. Now for our podcast. Welcome to the One Life Maps podcast. Here's your host and co-author of Listen to My Life, Maps for Recognizing and Responding to God in My Story, Sharon Swing. Hello, it's Sharon Swing. I am so happy to be here today with Christine Aronisine, and she is the author of The Gift of Wonder, Creative Practices for Delighting in God. And in so many ways, for those of you who know about Listen to My Life, um, we're singing off a similar song sheet here, and she's coming at it from a different and useful angle that I just really would like to invite you to explore. Right off the back of the book here, um, the, the description is, can you imagine a God who dances with shouts of joy, laughs when you laugh, loves to play, enjoys life, and invites us to join the fun? And I'll let Christine tell a little bit about her background story uh, in just a second here, but her her bio says, Christine Ernestein is the founder and facilitator of God Space, the online community. She and her husband, Tom, are co-founders of the Mustard Seed Associates. Christine trained as a physician in Australia, practiced in New Zealand, and developed and directed the healthcare ministry for Mercy Ships. Her books include Rest in the Moment, and Tales of a Seasick Doctor. Thank you for joining us, Christine. Oh, it's a delight. Thank you for having me, Sharon. Absolutely. So I love starting with a question of, um, tell us a little bit about your spiritual heritage. Well, I have a very uh, unusual uh, spiritual heritage. My father was Greek. My mother was Scottish. So I grew up actually between the Greek Orthodox and the Presbyterian Church, um, but also in Australia, um, you know, where I should say there's not a great deal of spirituality in the water. Uh, so in some ways in a very secular kind of environment. Um, and then in uh, the, well, as a teenager, I had a real coming to the Lord moment. Uh, I was 15. I can still vividly see it sitting on a, a crag looking over the, the river just had an amazing experience of the sense of the presence of God. Then I got involved in the charismatic movement, uh, another dimension to spirituality that I had not experienced before and, and just a wonderful, wonderful experience for me of increasing intimacy with God. Um, so a lot of different elements, you could say, to my spiritual heritage my husband and I now go to an Episcopal church, so we have moved uh, in a lot of different directions at different times, and it's been a very rich and enriching experience of life. 
Hmm. So glad that, um, that you could share that. And another question, uh, can you tell us a little bit about a time when God was most tangible to you? Oh, I would say, I, I would say that, um, uh, throughout my life, I've, I've had a very tangible sense of the presence of God. Um, probably one of the most vivid, and it sounds like a, a strange kind of experience to remember, was when I worked in refugee camps on the Thai-Cambodian border uh, in the mid-1980s. Uh, you know, the first time that I'd really been in a situation of being involved with people who were suffering, who were dying because they were starving, uh, and just the overwhelming kind of experience of why does God allow this to happen? Um, does God care for these people? And I, I still remember just a tangible sense of the presence of God uh, and a sense of, of the fact that God was there with me and in the midst of the suffering that was going on there. In fact, it wasn't just me. Um, the amazing thing was that we would have refugees who would come in in the morning and would tell us about these visions. These were basically Buddhist background and they would tell us about these visions that they had had of Jesus. Um, and I think that that kind of transferred to a certain extent to me. <laughs> and so very tangible sense of the presence of God. I, I mean, that's just one of hundreds that I could tell you out of my life. Mm, thank you for picking that one. I appreciate that very much. So what about your picture of God growing up? Well, I grew up, like I think many of us do, with a very authoritarian uh, view of God. Um, uh, you know, a God who didn't like to dance, certainly didn't laugh, uh, didn't like to do any of the fun things in life. Uh, a God that was a very workaholic God and expected me to be exactly the same. In fact, a God that I felt, you know, um, maybe persecutors a bit strong, but a God who reprimanded me. Uh, for not working 24-7, uh, for not being out there who, who took time off. You know, that was just something that wasn't expected. So it was not a good and healthy image of God at all. Um, but it took me a long time to change it. It really did. Uh, it, it took me getting ill, developing chronic fatigue syndrome, and looking back, over my experiences and thinking, you know, what did I do wrong and what can I do now to change it to really move away from that impression? So what what did shift it? I mean, so you were sick, but then did you encounter God in a different way or did you decide that you needed to sort out your story a little bit? Or what, what was the, wait a minute. <laughs> well, this is of, different. A bit of both, actually. You know, I mean, I live in the United States now. My family are all in Australia. But I go back and I realize that they're still in that workaholic mode. I grew up very much in a workaholic kind of family. And so it's not surprising that I developed an image of a workaholic God. Um, but, it, you know, it needed to change. But to be honest, to start with, I couldn't really see how that could change. And ironically, it was a novel that started to change me. It was a novel um, about a 12th century uh, monk, a Welsh monk by the name of Cadfell. And just entering into that rhythm 
uh, of the monastic life that started me thinking, you know, maybe there's something different uh, than this kind of workaholic God that I'd grown up with. You know, the rhythm of, of work uh, and rest and contemplation uh, that the monks entered into, I thought maybe there's something uh, that I need to pick up on here. And I actually went through the Gospels and did a study of the life of Jesus, looking at how he prioritized his time. And um, one of my earlier books, Return to Our Senses, uh, no, sorry, the book that gave the name to my blog, Godspace, uh, was a book where I explore uh, the development of my understanding of the fact that Jesus didn't, he, he didn't work 24 hours a day. You know, he took time uh, for rest. He took time sometimes to get away from the crowds. He took time to just sit in the presence of God, not just kind of 15 minutes in the morning, but sometimes a whole night, uh, sometimes, you know, extended periods of time in the desert and things like that. Um, and he had a very clear sense of what it was that God had called him to. And I realized that that was probably one of the things in a way that I, I lacked. I mean, I was doing um, incredible work that I absolutely loved, but I didn't know when to say no. You know, I didn't know where to set the boundaries. And I think that's something that many of us do. We kind of say, well, I love what I do, and therefore killing myself to do it must be what God's expecting of me. And I mm. think, you know, um, there is meant to be a rhythm of work, a rhythm of rest, a rhythm of spiritual practices. I think this is all of the kinds of things that God calls us to. Um, mm. And, um, you know, but it, it, it took a long time to start to learn that. And then to kind of get those messages from my head down to my heart was harder because some um, part of what I realized was that I needed to develop new kinds of spiritual practices that would help me. Um, and I did started to get into contemplative practices like um, Lectio Divina. Um, but even that um, didn't satisfy me. It wasn't, I mean, I loved doing that kind of practice, but I'm a person who needs to be doing something with my hands. Uh, I need to have something to focus on. Uh, and so I found that I needed uh, practices to, that started to really stimulate me in different ways. And, and that's where the gift of wonder came from, uh, because I started to explore things like, <laughs> sounds very strange, but um, painting on rocks as a spiritual practice, uh, doodling as a spiritual practice, uh, you know, kind of... <laughs> Walking. So you had to reframe what a spiritual practice oh, is. Oh, definitely, yeah. And I started to realize, I mean, these were the things that started to bring me to life. It was kind of like um, I, I realized that part of me had not been touched by what I had been brought up to think of as a spiritual practice, that, that you know, the traditional way of looking at spiritual practices only brought to life a, a part of who I was and I needed these other kind of practices to bring all of me to life um, mm -hmm. and it's interesting to me because I remember a couple of years ago I still remember this I had a, um, a, a nun who was 82 years old contact me and she said I've just started whittling while I pray is that okay? 
And it was kind of like, okay? yeah, she was finding life in adding this to her prayers. Um, and I thought how sad that she had had to live until she was 82 uh, in what was a spiritual kind of community before she had found the enrichment of something beyond, you know, traditional approaches to prayer. Um, and that, I think, kind of started me exploring even further uh, in terms of what are spiritual practices. And, oh, boy, it's right. opened up wonderful, wonderful doors for me. Right. I have, um, I, I love photography and doing pottery and even playing pickleball. And basically all of those things have in common is it helps me to be present oh. in the now. Photography is wonderful. That's one of mine too. I love taking photos mm -hmm. uh, and I love using those as part of my, my spiritual disciplines. It's, it's a, and I mean, in today's world where everybody's taking photos, I think that this is something that, you know, what a, what a wonderful way to connect us to the presence of God. Everybody has a camera in their pocket. Exactly. Phone, right? Yes. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, yeah, it's 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 a wonderful way to help you see. Yes. Yes. It's a wonderful way to help you see. So, in the introduction, you say you started asking people what makes you feel close to God. What did you learn when you asked that question? Well, it was fascinating. Um, two major things that came out. Firstly, nature. Um, you know, some aspect of nature, it could be anything from walking in the forest to sitting by the sea. Uh, and that didn't surprise me. But the second commonest one, uh, I think did, and that was something to do with children, uh, watching children play, putting kids to bed at night, uh, playing with kids, you know, um, this, this was the number two, in terms of what uh, made people feel close to God. Um, and I think that that was what started me uh, thinking, you know, why, why is this? Um, and, of course, you know, the scripture that came to my mind is unless you become like a child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Um, and it's mm -hmm. kind of one of those scriptures that we have a tendency to kind of see as a bit of a throwaway. You know, we don't take it really seriously. But as I started to reflect on the fact that looking at kids, playing with kids, putting kids to bed, uh, were some of the major things that made people feel close to God, I thought, wow, maybe we need to take it a lot more seriously than we do. Um, and I started to do some research. Uh, I actually posted it on Facebook. You know, what do you think of the childlike characteristics that make us fit for the kingdom? got an amazing response. I would say I got 100 people responding, uh, you know, and obviously lots of different kinds of ideas. Uh, but I took what I thought were the 12 either most important or the ones that I found the most interesting, um, did research, and that was basically what became the gift of wonder. Um, and it was a wonderful adventure into childhood. I don't have any kids of my own. But um, I love watching kids play. Uh, I love playing with kids. And, of course, we all love holding babies. Uh, you know, I think that's one of the most beautiful things that any of us can do. Um, probably only be to be surpassed uh, for me as a medical doctor at having delivered quite a few babies in my life. And 
I can tell you nothing gives more joy than seeing a little baby come into the world. And I think, um, you know, I can imagine that that gives delight to the heart of God and that the development of that baby gives delight to the heart of God too. Mm. What do you think it is about delivering a baby? What What's un, just underneath that? I mean, we can imagine it, but can you speak it out? Um, well, I, I think it is the newness of life. Um, I think that there's the feeling uh, that this child uh, made in the image of God is how we were created to be. Um, you know, I think at that point there is a sense of it uh, being more than anything made in the image of God. Uh, and I think that's part of what we're drawn to. Mm. My friend Sybil, who co-authored the Listen to My Life materials with me, she always she has a phrase, it's hot from the hand of God. Uh, yes, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> Lovely. I love it. So, okay, so you talk about the childlike characteristics. I'm just going to run down the list that, that you have here because they are associated with the uh, different chapters and the different spiritual practices that that uh, that you explore here. So, delight in God, playfulness, sharing our stories, imagination, curiosity, awe and wonder, love of nature, the ability to live in the present, gratitude, compassion, hospitality, the intrigue of looking with fresh eyes, and trust. Yes. Which is your favorite? Um. Well, I would say my favorite has become awe and wonder. Um, I, I say become because this has been something that has developed as a result of uh, both the research I did for the book and since I wrote the book. Um, one of the things that my husband and I have developed as a result of um, looking at awe and wonder, which interestingly enough, they say a, a daily dose of awe and wonder makes us more caring and compassionate people, uh, that we become more aware of the world around us and of the people around us as well. And so we decided to call our daily walks awe and wonder walks. Um, and it's been a practice that uh, we haven't just continued, but has grown uh, in importance for us. And so when we walk, you know, we point out the things that give us a sense of awe. Uh, it, it's it's just a profound experience. And um, just from the number of people that have contacted me about this, I can see that as others have connected to this sense of daily awe and wonder, that many others too are feeling just a delight uh, that is growing in the presence of God as a result of this. And when you say that, I think that just the renaming of it, the on wonder walks, gives it gives it an intentionality to see. And also, I think about when you take a walk with a kid, they're always stopping and looking and turning over a rock and being curious, and and they're in on wonder mode constantly uh, when you're on a yes, walk. Yes, constantly. Yeah. And I mean, if you're trying to get somewhere, it's really irritating. <laughs> <laughs> and they, I mean, they get that the joy is in the journey, right? Yes, oh, they do. And it's not just that they like to look at something, but they're so excited by it, you know. Um, and mm -hmm. it's amazing what they're excited by. And I think, you know, it's such a shame that somewhere along the journey we lose that sense of awe and wonder, uh, you know. And well, we, we trade it for productivity. 
Yeah. We, we do, you know, and awe and wonder experiences become rare for most of us uh, rather than daily yeah. experiences. And yet it doesn't take much to reintroduce that sense of daily awe and wonder, um, you know, and um, I, I, I feel so sorry for people that haven't learnt to reintroduce it, but uh, it's beautiful. And, and it, it, you know, and yeah. I think God delights in us and we learn to delight in God when we introduce those uh, experiences of awe and wonder. Yeah, I, I, it made me think of a, the final scene of a documentary that I saw that the CEO of this very large company and trying to make sure everything is as efficient as possible and, and, and all, and he is um, incredibly wealthy, of course. And the last scene starts with him driving in this limousine and it's got his voiceover speaking um, you know, as he's pondering, and then there's this scene of him walking in into his, this huge monstrosity of a gorgeous home, um, this mansion uh, with a big reflecting pool, and you know all this kind of stuff. And he's walking around alone, and and part of the the voiceover and the pondering he's doing, he's saying, "Well, after all, life is work." Uh isn't it oh dear and you just get this sense of 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 loneliness mm -hmm. and sadness and angst but it's like he has bought into this lie that productivity is what life is and it's just you know you you feel like oh my goodness here is the rich fool yes yes definitely yeah and he's 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 eighty some years old, and you think to yourself, "Oh my goodness!" Oh, it's sad. And it's it, it was terribly sad, terribly sad. So anyway, let me change turn corners here. Um, you have listened to your life, and it says, "Let's reminisce and reflect on what God enjoys about who you are and what we do." And you start into this section of listen to your life. Tell me about that. I mean, as, as we talked about uh, before, um, a lot of our listeners have experienced life mapping uh, with us, with the Listen to My Life materials. Um, tell me about what this is like, uh, how you describe it here in your book. Well, this was one of the most fascinating and unexpected, I think, um, <clears throat> topics that I came across. Uh, you know, kids love to have you tell them the story of their lives. I mean, nothing excites them more, of course, than you looking back and telling you about their, uh, your earliest uh, memories of them. And if you were there at their birth or shortly after, I mean, they absolutely love to hear those stories. What we don't realise is that listening to those stories and telling those stories ourselves are actually good for us. Reminiscing and nostalgia improves our health. It improves our physical health. It actually, it can improve our posture. It can reduce our aches and pains. Uh, it can help us lose weight. It can decrease our blood pressure. And the strangest one of all, it can actually improve our eyesight. Uh, <laughs> and hmm. I look at that and I think, you know, I haven't... Need to do more I of that. Know. Okay. Well, and I think <laughs> that it probably has a big impact on our spiritual and emotional health as well. 
uh, in ways that we don't realize. And I think of how often in the Old Testament, you know, God says to the children of Israel, remember, remember, you know, write these things on the, um, the doorposts and remember your story is basically what God says. And I think for all of us. Uh, and learn from it, please. Yes, learn from it. And often, uh, you know, part of what I've had to learn uh, is to reframe my story with God at the center uh, and with gratitude at the center as well. You know, I grew up in a, a very challenging family. Uh, my dad was physically abusive. Uh, and for a long time, you know, that kind of overshadowed my life. I mean, and on top of that, I was a prem baby. I'd actually spent the first month of my life in hospital. And these are two kinds of things that can really, you know, kind of negatively impact your life. Um, but over the years, I have learned to reframe uh, those experiences, you know, thinking about the fact that I was not alone uh, in that incubator in the hospital, that God was always present with me, holding me uh, and embracing me. I, I had a very tangible, amazing experience once of um, sitting on God's knee and of God embracing me in the midst of that um, hospital experience. And I've had similar kinds of experiences as I've looked back on, um, you know, some of the abusive uh, violence uh, from my childhood as well, and reframing that with a sense of God in the center of it has, has been very healing for me uh, in amazing ways. Uh, but when you say God in the center of it, um, not in the center of, I mean, how? Tell, say more, because if you shorthand that, yeah. that can be very... <laughs> Well, I think, you know, it's, it's not saying God um, God caused the violence or God wanted this violence to happen. What, what it's saying is that God was there comforting. I think often uh, as I've looked back, I've been aware of the comfort of God. I've also been aware of the protection of God in the midst of that. And I've been aware of the, the strengthening of God. Um, one of them, the things that um, I think I became aware of in, in, at one stage was how God had used those kind of experiences. And I'm not saying that God wanted those experiences, but that God used them to build strength and resilience in me, uh, which has definitely seen me through my life because I suppose you could say God was preparing me for some of the situations that God uh, kind of led me into working in, you know, refugee camps. You need resilience and strength to be able to work in those kinds of situations. And I think, you know, the resilience that was built in me uh, during my childhood were gifts uh, that could be used during those kinds of situations. Um, the, the desire to reach out and help other people who were in need, uh, again, you know, a huge gift that I'm very grateful for when I look back. I think, you know, um, those experiences made me look beyond myself. They made me look to the needs of others in ways that I am extremely grateful for and had never anticipated. So these are just... Right. You never have to be grateful for the abuse, no. but to be grateful for the how it shaped you to be more human. Yes, yes, exactly. 
uh, helped me to. Right. And there's a, there's a choice in there, isn't there? Because there's a lot of people who are abused and then they just continue, they, they just continue this, the string of being abusive themselves toward others. And then there's a, there's a choice oh, to be made there. Very yeah. much so. And I think that um, one of the keys to this is, is gratitude. Uh, one of the books that I read when I was working on the chapter on gratitude in this talked about how gratitude um, reframes our lives, uh, you know, so that we don't live in the midst of resentment and kind of um, feeling we don't have enough. And it reframes it instead in terms of appreciation. Uh, it reframes it in terms of a sense of um, rather than, uh, yeah, it reframes it in, particularly in terms of appreciation. Um, right. There's another author I really appreciate who, who defines resentment as a demand that the past be different. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> And you know, and you, it's it, it, which is such a shame. We can't change the change the past, but we can change the way we look at it. Uh, and I think that's what's so important. And and to to realize that there's a choice, and it's not to deny the truth of it. No, but it is a choice as to uh, where you're going to focus on it because of the fact that it that there's a choice in there that frees you. Yes, yes, exactly. Or there's a choice that keeps you in bondage yes I would agree and so okay yes so what about what else about listen to your life um well I think you know looking back um I think one of the things that I've realized is important for me because um I I have had I've had an unusual life you know I trained as a a medical doctor but I did not spend most of my life doing what was acceptable medical or, or um, usual medical practice. I uh, moved from Australia to New Zealand. I worked in family practice for a couple of years. And then I joined an organization called Mercy Ships, or at that point in time, it was a part of Youth with a Mission, and um, joined when they had just purchased the first ship, the Anastasis, and so had the amazing privilege of... Um, being the medical director developing um, that uh, program to do cleft lip and palate and eye surgery uh, and medical and dental work and then working in third world cultures, uh, worked in Asia, worked in Central and South America, worked in Africa. Um, not your usual kind of uh, experiences. But I found that it's been important for me now that I live in the United States and I have lived here for 26 years, it's so easy to forget about those experiences uh, and uh, the, you know, in a way, the people that I was involved with um, in, in two dimensions. You know, it's been very important for me to constantly uh, have the needs of those who are less fortunate than I in front of me because one of the things that's so easy I think for us in this culture is to live in that state of we want more we want more rather than recognizing that we are the most privileged of the world and I just need to start remembering some of those experiences and um, I am reminded of how incredibly um, blessed I am 
uh, in everything that I have and everything that I do. You know, the privilege of education, the privilege of a beautiful home, uh, the privilege of financial stability. You know, these are the kinds of things that many people in the world uh, will never even dream of. Um, and so, you know, looking back, uh, you know, this is part of what is the privilege of my life. And then recognizing, uh, you know, the presence of God in the midst of those things. And, um, you know, some my best friends are still the people that I was on board the ship with. Um, and that's an, an incredible uh, thing to be able to say. But, you know, somebody said it was like we lived in a, a spiritual hothouse, uh, a place where, where we grew mm. spiritually in incredible ways. And, and we'll still sometimes, you know, we'll – uh, get together my two best friends and I get together once a year usually and and always as part of that our talk will go back to sharing stories of those years that we spent on board the mercy ship um, and the presence of God in the midst of that you know just incredible incredible sense of the presence of God you know as we struggled through difficult situations as we grappled with needs in the world as we kind of um, you know, kind of grappled with where God was taking us and what God was doing in our lives. Um, so that kind of reminiscing, I think, is very important as well. Mm-hmm. Certainly has been for and me. Earlier, you had mentioned uh, nostalgia. Yes. Uh-huh. Say more about nostalgia. Well, I think, um, you know, as people say, reminiscing and nostalgia are two different things. I think that reminiscing is looking back nostalgia is the sense of joy <laughs> that it gives us uh the sense of delight when we look back um uh, at our experiences so people say oh yes but that's only when you look back at the good things um and to a certain extent that is true but i think that there can be also a sense of delight i know for me there's a sense of delight you know when i look back at those challenging situations that i was invo- involved in and recognize the presence of God. Uh, and, and the nostalgia is thinking, uh, I'd like to experience that again. Uh, and sometimes, you know, that nostalgia, I think, becomes a longing for the kinds of experiences that really t- touched our lives in the past and saying, hey, if that was possible then, what kind of experiences could give me the same kind of feeling and the same kind of delight now? Um, that's that's probably how I would define nostalgia anyway. So what words of encouragement do you have for our listeners in terms of ratcheting up the wonder in their lives? Um, I would say it's possible for everybody. Uh, you know, you don't have to have had the kinds of experiences I have to find delight in God. Uh, you don't have to um, have... Uh, to, you don't need to live in a beautiful house. You don't need to um, have even financial security or anything. There's always the possibility of awe and wonder and of delight in the world around us and in the God that we serve as well. Which are the spiritual practices you'd like to mention out of your book to just give people a taste of the variety that's there? Well, one of the strangest ones in a way which actually I was doing this morning, was doodling uh, as a spiritual practice. And this is an interesting one. 
um, because it's been found actually that doodling with your non-dominant hand uh, is a great way to stir creativity. And I find that doodling is something that is relaxing uh, and is also something that I find opens me to the voice of God. And, and what I was doing this morning, I did a doodle, basically, I, I doodled only for about 15 seconds uh, with my non-dominant hand, because that's kind of what stirs creativity more. Then I opened my eyes and I looked at the doodle and I thought, what do I want to do this? Where is it going to take me? And I do talk about this in the gift of wonder. And I looked at the image and I thought, it looks very messy. Uh, I want to give it shape and substance. And so I started to color in parts of my doodle. And as I was coloring, you know, I felt that God said to me, you know, this is what I'm doing with your life. You started out very messy. And I've been coloring places in. Uh, I've been putting in new set shapes. Um, and as a result of that, I'm making something beautiful. Um, it was just a very profound, and now that's just a very shortened version of when I, what I went through this morning, but it was a wonderful uh, reflective uh, exercise of intimacy with God that I have found. I don't do it often, but when I do, boy, I find that God speaks to me in beautiful ways. So is God inviting you to do this? Yes. <laughs> So, so what, uh, with him, right. Yeah. Uh, what else just mention, just give us a, give us a general list of some of the things that people might encounter. Um, in your well, uh, painting on rocks is another one, you know, and I'm kind of mentioning the ones that in a way I could say took me by surprise. Uh, this was one that took me by surprise because, um, you know, I'm not an artistic person by any stretch of the imagination. So it never occurred to me that painting on rocks would be something that I would find both interesting and that would draw me closer to God. And yet I have because, again, it's become a reflective process for me. It's something where I'll, uh, you know, usually I'll, I'll, I'll be thinking about what's, what do I want to focus on in terms of my uh, uh, times with God at, for the next you know, season, maybe week or couple of weeks. And then I'll usually pick up a rock. Uh, the best is if I can go outside and find a rock. Um, but if I can't, then I do have a supply of rocks that I can use. And then I'll usually write that word um, on the rock and then I'll decorate it. And this is not artistic. You know, I go on Pinterest and I see these beautifully decorated rocks. Well, I can tell you mine never looked like that. Uh, you, you know, this is about me expressing uh, what God has put in my heart and bringing it into the presence of God as an expression of my love for God and of, um, I suppose you could say, a play, place where God can meet me in a new and an intimate way as well. It, it, again, right, it's, and you're, you're, well, it's been very important um, for me. And, and then um, adding... It to another practice, I, I, I'm a very keen gardener. Um, you know, my I have a very indulgent husband, which is very fortunate because I probably have uh, a couple of hundred houseplants around the house. Um, and, um, it, you know, so they kind of take over at times. 
But one of the things that I have found is a beautiful spiritual practice for me is combining my writing on rocks with develop uh, with creating contemplative gardens. Um, for example, last year, for this, uh, the month of November leading up to Thanksgiving, I decided that I wanted to call it a season of gratitude. So I made a uh, a contemplative garden, just a little garden, uh, that focused on gratitude. I actually I went to the thrift store and I found one of these fruit bowls that has a banana hook on it. Um, and so I brought it home. I filled the the bowl with uh, with soil. I planted succulents in it. I uh, got a couple of rocks and I wrote on one of them gratitude. And then the other on the other, my cup overflows. And then I got a cup and I hung it from the banana um, hook and I put a plant in it that trailed into the, the garden and it became my focus for that month of gratitude. Um, boy, did it um, improve <laughs> uh, the, you know, my, my experience of gratitude over that month. Uh, and, and then I, I combined it with asking each morning, what are three things uh, that make you grateful? Uh, and what would your like, life be like without them? You know, asking those two questions uh, as part of my experience of gratitude combined with using my gratitude garden as a focus were very important for me. So that's just a sense of some of the kinds of practices that I, I include in this, this book. Uh, a little different from what we normally think of as spiritual practices um, and maybe things that don't appeal to some people but you know basically what I'm doing is is I'm taking the things that I love to do and making the focus for spiritual practices and what I'm suggesting is that people take the things that they love to do and making them the focus for spiritual practices they don't have to be the same as mine you know you mentioned photography um, which I think is one that many people uh, can find as a, as a focus for spiritual practice uh, but there are many other things. You know, the sky's the limit. Um, in fact, it's interesting because I have a friend who flies kites as a spiritual practice, you know, and she sees the movement of the, the kite um, as the, the, the wind of the spirit. And I think, wow, that's something I'd never do, but I love it that she's taken something she enjoys doing uh, and uses it as a spiritual practice. Right. have a friend who... Uh, got a puppy who is a hunting dog and training the hunting dog and taking it, taking this dog to the dog park um, and, and walking in nature for two hours um, in the morning is, is his time. Yes. You know, it's just this, this relationship with his dog and nature are his place to commune with God. Beautiful. Yeah. And it's it it can be. I I just love how what's going on here is we're opening up not necessarily the specifics of painting on rocks or or something, but opening up the possibility that people can find what it is that helps them to be present, and ask and frame it up in a way that that invites a conversation with exactly God or just gives gives God a way to get a word in edgewise in their oh, life. Oh, yes. And that's exactly what we're asking. And and framing, um, you know, the questions that help us 
uh, in the midst of that practice to really connect to God because some, you know, so often I have people say to me, oh, I knew this made me feel closer to God, but I didn't really understand why. Or, you know, I knew this, I knew this gave me a good feeling, but I didn't realize that I could reframe it as a spiritual practice. You know, those kind of questions or those kind of comments are ones that I commonly get as well. Um, because we haven't been encouraged to take the things that we enjoy and help us think about how could this connect me more to God. Um, and that, I think, is sad. Well, let's start a revolution. And <laughs> Sounds like a great idea. <laughs> so, Christine, um, how can people uh, get in touch with you? Well, the best way is through my blog, um, godspacelight.com. Um, but also I am on, um, I, I'm a techie, so I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram, I'm on YouTube. Um, so all of those, and it's my uh, name is usually christine.sign or Christine Sign. you know, it depends on which one it is. So they're the ways. Okay, and sign is S-I-N-E. And it's Christine with a C H R I S T I N E. Yes. Christ yes. Right. Christine Sign. And um, we're just so grateful you joined us today. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for the book, The Gift of Wonder Creative Practices for Delighting in God. And just before I close, uh, for, for our listeners, if you're ready to participate in a Listen to My Life experience starting September 10th, we will be hosting a virtual Listen to My Life workshop. It lasts 10 weeks. Uh, people from all over the world will be joining in. And uh, also, if you're interested in facilitating Listen to My Life with others, November 17th, live workshop, two and a half days in Chicago. You can find out more about that on, on the website. And also the audio meditations that are available on patreon.com slash O-N-E-L-I-F-E-M-A-P-S. But you can find out everything at the website, onelifemaps.com. Thanks so much for listening today. Christine, once again, many blessings. Thank you. you. Have you thought, I don't know myself anymore? Have you wondered, is there something more? Are you at a crossroads in life and asking, which way will lead me toward expressing more of who I am made to be? Are you looking for a way to understand the restlessness you feel inside? Are you seeking a deeper spiritual life and desire to rediscover who you are through God's eyes? Or you're ready for the life mapping experience of Listen to My Life? Go to onelifemaps.com to purchase your portfolio of visual life maps. While you're there, check out our upcoming virtual coaching groups, live workshops, and options for you to facilitate the Listen to My Life experience with others. That's onelifemaps.com, O-N-E-L-I-F-E-M-A-P-S.com.